Hello and welcome to the Monobank History of Scotland podcast, a series of comedy podcasts all about Scotland's history. Funny that, eh? Uh, I am your host, my name is Daniel, Daniel Downey. I'm a stand-up comedian that you have not heard of and I am based in uh, in the fair city of Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, what I do is I have a company called uh, Montebank Tours, and I do a thing called the Montebank Comedy Walk of Edinburgh, whereby I take people around the beautiful city of Edinburgh, I tell them the history of the city, and I try and make them laugh at the same time, right? And the reason I'm telling you this is because that's what this podcast is, is an attempt at doing uh, the same thing with Scottish history. We're giving Scottish history the Montebank treatment. So in this podcast, you will hopefully learn a wee bit and you'll laugh a bit as well. That's the whole idea of uh, of this series. Uh, today's episode is all about the 13th century, which is considered something of a, a golden age here in Scotland. Uh, it was a time of relative peace and prosperity, but it's only it's only really remembered as a golden age in that way that what was about to follow in the 14th century was a complete and utter shit show. You know, you had the the wars of independence. England trying to conquer us, William, William Wallace and Robert the Bruce Fine, Edward I and Edward II. And do you know what it's like? It's a bit like how we'll look back on pre-2020 as being a golden era as well. You know what I mean? You had no idea how good you had it back in 2015, did you? We're going to look back at 2015 like it's our bloody Woodstock. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, oh what a time to be alive, 2015. Honestly, it was amazing. The only infectious diseases kicking about in 2015 were sexually transmitted. It was brilliant. And, and, and Brexit, that was still just some gobbledygook on the side of a bus. What, honestly, what a time to be alive. Anyway, if this is the first time you listen to podcasts, that's the sort of nonsense you should expect, right? It's 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 kind of that uh, that sets the tone for what you're about to listen to. If this is the first time that you've listened to the podcast, can I suggest you go back to the start? There's nothing really topical about what I talk about. Everything goes in chronological order. So go back to start, and then the rest of the episodes will hopefully make a wee bit more sense. You've got a bit of background for them. Uh, right, okay. So as I said, this is about the 13th century, which was uh, predominantly the rule of two Scots. Kings Alexander II and Alexander III. They were both pretty good kings. They were better than Alexander the First. So they're kind of like the reverse of the Hangover films, you know. And that two and three were actually pretty good, and and one was a bit shite. Uh, and aye, so that's it. Without further ado, here is your podcast, folks, about Alexander the Second and Alexander the Third. I do hope you enjoy, and I shall see you on the other side. Have fun out there. Alexander the Second ascended to the throne in twelve fourteen. He was crowned at Schoon on the 6th of December 1214, and he was only 16 years old. And being a young king, it meant that Alexander's authority early in his reign, it was fledgling. But he was a, he was a very capable young man. He almost immediately put down a Celtic rebellion in the north of Scotland. And early in his reign, he turned his attentions once again to Northumbria and the land in the north of England that his father, William, had been so utterly obsessed about obtaining for Scotland. And Alexander, he saw an opportunity to snatch this land in the north of England in 1215, when King John I in England, he was facing a rebellion from his barons. When the barons took London, uh, King John, he was forced to sign away a lot of his more arbitrary powers in the very famous 
um, medieval document, the Magna Carta, which was a, a landmark in the development of parliamentary democracy. The Magna Carta was signed at Runnymede on the 12th of June, sorry, the 15th of June, 1215. It was written entirely in Latin. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a Boris Johnson public health announcement in that respect, you know, except it was far easier to understand and interpret. Apparently, by the way, Runnymede is where Thorpe Park is. So I don't know, next time you're upside down the nemesis, I do hope that you consider, oh, it's just the spot we're one of the most significant documents in medieval history. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. But anyway, right, what was it involved with Magna Carta? Well, put simply, it was basically an agreement between the king and his barons uh, that said that he wasn't above the law of the land. Only only John's advisors were above the law of the land. And even then, only when one of his key advisor, advisors suspected that a member of his family had a highly infectious disease, in which case they would be allowed to pack them into a cart travel the length of the country from London to Durham, uh, have a wee detour to Barnum Castle to test their eyesight. But only very, very niche examples, you know. Uh, essentially, the king's not above the law of the land. Um, it allowed all men in England, all free men in England, the right to a trial, which basically meant it was the birth of the lawyer, uh, which is why it's so celebrated in America, for example. So basically, Alexander saw this opportunity, uh, or saw the trouble that John was having with his barons as an opportunity to, to win the lands in Northumbria. But John, he, he he turned on Scotland with a snarl and fierce fighting. It broke out on either side of the border, but Alexander's rebellion, it was easily put down. Uh, John managed to chase the red fox cub back into its lair, um, which was his words, proving that posh bricks have been hunting foxes since the 13th century. Although, to be fair, if they lived in lairs back then, they must have been pretty terrifying foxes. So he may have batted off Alexander in Scotland, but John, he was still under ever-increasing pressure from his barons after he, he renegated on a, a lot of the Magna Carta. Although I don't know why anyone would be surprised by that. Like, we're talking about a king, King John I, King John Un, renegading on democracy. <laughs> Hardly a surprise, is it? Come on. Uh, the barons, they were fighting to put a French claimant on the throne, a guy called Louis, who was the son of uh, Philippe II of France, the King of France. Um, but the fighting soon fizzled out when John, uh, King John I, he, he died of a mysterious illness called murder. Uh, well, some say he died of uh, dysentery, but uh, it, it's very likely that he was poisoned. Uh, after he visited Salisbury Cathedral, you know, so he died in uh, he died in October twelve sixteen, and his nine year old son Henry was crowned Henry the Third, and so the barons uh, they no longer needed this French guy Louis, so they just kind of brexited him, basically told him to fuck off back to France. You know, I kind of feel sorry for Louis, like he was a, a Frenchman in England who was popular to start off with, but after a while, everyone just wanted him to leave, you know, he's, he was kind of like the 13th century's Paul Pogba in that respect. I'm actually still waiting on hearing from Graham Soonis on how the COVID-19 situation is somehow Paul Pogba's fault. With young Henry III on the throne uh, in England, Alexander II, he decided to set aside his military ambitions in the north of England. And in 1221, he married Henry III's older sister, Joan. Now, this helped to stabilise relations between the two countries. And in 1237, Alexander II, he signed the, the Treaty of York. And the Treaty of York had renounced all of Scotland's claims to land south of the Tweed and the Solway. And it created the border that exists to this date, with the exception of Berwick-upon-Tweed, um, which is a town on the border between Scotland and England, which is swapped between Scotland and England at least 13 times. Basically, if Rod Stewart was a town, he'd be Berwick, you know? 
I personally think if the if there is right to be a second independent independence referendum in Scotland, then it's only right that the people of Berwick should be given the option of deciding whether they wish to be in Scotland or England. And I personally relish the prospect of there being another beautiful town in the borders that I never visit. You know. And in return for renouncing the lands in Northern England, England had to accept Scotland's right to exist as an independent kingdom. Despite this, Henry III and then his successor, Edward I, they would constantly try and get homage from the Scottish kings. The Treaty of York was not only key to establishing the border with England, but also peace. And with this peace with England, it allowed Alexander to concentrate on gaining back the Norse-held Viking parts of his kingdom, uh, in particular the Western Isles. The Western Isles, they were still under Norse control after the Vikings had helped themselves to the islands in the late 11th century. The Scottish king at the time, Edgar, he had offered no resistance at all to the Vikings' attack. Uh, he was acting like a kind of Partick Thistle centre-half, I suppose. And so Alexander II, he was very keen to, to win these islands back for Scotland. And Celtic resistance in the Western Isles, in the Hebrides, it was very strong at the time. Uh, one of the great Hebridean heroes, one of the, the great heroes of, of Scottish Celtic history is a, a 12th century warlord and self-proclaimed Viking hunter called Summerled. Uh, Summerled, he, he rebelled against the Vikings in the 12th century and he, he fought against feudalism and installed himself as the Lord of the Isles, uh, which is actually a position that I recently applied for in Tesco's. You know, they, they, well, they called it customer assistant. I say Lord of the Isles, tomato, tomato, you know. And many of, uh, many of Scotland's most predominant, well-known clans, they all claim to be descended from Summerlid. So the MacDonalds, the McDougalls, and the McAllisters, for example, they all claim to be descended from Summerlid. Apparently, over half a million people can trace their lineage back to Summerlid, making them second only to Genghis Khan, who has something like 16 million descendants. And, of course, Boris Johnson, who has, I mean, nobody knows. It could be well over a million. It could be well over a billion. We just don't know. I'm just amazed that so many people are descended from a guy from the Western Isles, to be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? That's a part of the country that has notoriously few gene pools. And so the King of Norway at that time, it was a man called Hakon IV, who admittedly sounds like the, the bad guy that you have to fight at the end of a computer game level. But Hakon, he had uh, pretty serious imperial ambitions, and he wasn't dicking about when it came to his Scottish provinces. In 1230, he sent a force to reassert Viking control over the Western Isles and punish the Hebridean warlords, people like Summerlaid. And there was a particularly brutal assault on Rothsey Castle, which is on the Isle of Bute. And by the end of his expedition in 1230, Hakon had uh, effectively driven out anyone whose allegiance to Norway he suspected. They were either driven out or they were killed. In 1244, Alexander II sends uh, an envoy to negotiate with Hakon, but... Hakon refuses to, to sell the Hebrides or to any kind of negotiation over the return to Scotland. Now, this has made Alexander II even more determined. And when Hakon appointed Ewan, the Lord of Argyll and head of the MacDougall clan, as his vassal king over the islands, Alexander decided to attack the MacDougall stronghold of Dunstaffnage Castle, which is located just north of Oban, at the mouth of uh, Loch Ative. And in July 1249, Alexander, he gathered a, a great fleet at the Sound of Kera, which is the stretch of water off the Oban coastline. And he was getting ready to attack Dunstaffnage Castle when he was visited in a dream by St. Olaf, King of Norway, uh, St. Magnus, Earl of Orkney, and St. Columba. And all of them tell him not to attack. They, they urge him to retreat. Now, Alexander ignored the dream. 
Which is, I mean, which is fair enough. Like, you don't want your world leaders taking advice from dreams, do you? I mean, as, although, to be fair, it's still preferable taking advice from Dominic Cummings, but still, Alexander, he uh, he probably should have taken their advice because he ended up falling ill and uh, he actually died on the Sound of Kerra. He died getting ready to attack Dunstaffinage Castle, which makes me think that I don't think he was visited by three saints at all. I think he was visited by Freddy Bloody Kruger. He died on the 8th of July, 1249, and his uh, his eight-year-old son would become Alexander III. Alexander III was crowned uh, at Schoon on the 13th of July, 1249. Now, he was only eight years old when he inherited the throne, and this is a common reoccurrence throughout Scottish history that infant children would inherit the throne and become king, or Mary Queen, of, Mary Queen of Scots case, queen, a very, very young age. I don't know, it's probably something to do with our horrendous life expectancy in Scotland. Um, the life expectancy in Glasgow in the 21st century is actually still at 13th century levels. But for many of the Stuart kings that would follow Alexander III, this, uh, being a child monarch, it left them vulnerable to power-hungry Scottish nobility and the, and the English royalty. And this was the same with Alexander III. Henry the Third in England, he constantly tried to get homage from Alexander and he constantly tried to exert his influence over the regency of Alexander when he was a child, particularly since Alexander III was married to his daughter Margaret when he was, tw- when he was only 10 years old in 1051. But the Scottish church and nobility it did a, a great job of closing ranks around Alexander III and protecting him from the influence of Henry. And it certainly helped that his coronation was seen as a, a great blessing at the time because just a year later, in June 1250, Margaret Canmore was elevated to sainthood. Now, this meant that the, the Scottish royal dynasty was descended from a saint. Uh, I, too, by the way, am also descended from a saint. Um, I mean, that's what my mum told me when she uh, when she said I was adopted. Uh, apparently, my real dad is a saint and a janitor. Alexander III took control of his kingdom in 1259 at the age of 18, and he immediately set his eyes on the Western Isles, uh, which is fair play to him, you know, because, I mean, most 18-year-old lads, they normally go to, to Kavos and Ayanapa, you know, but uh, whatever floats your boat, I suppose. But in 1261, he sent a party to Norway to negotiate the return of the, Hebride- the Hebrides once again, but Hakon refuses to negotiate. And in the summer of 1262, Alexander... He carries out some pretty savage raids on the Isle of Skye. When Hakon hears that Alexander III plans to take the islands back by force, he amasses the largest fleet to ever leave Norway and the largest force to ever, or the largest foreign force, to ever attack Scotland to reassert his control over the Hebrides in 1263. Now, Hakon's fleet, they carry out another vicious attack on Rothsey Castle and Butte. They plunder... Kintyre and Eilie as well, and and once Hakon feels that he's got a firm grip on the Inner Hebride, he anchors his fleet in Lamlash Bay on the Isle of Arran, while Alexander gathers his forces in Ayrshire on the mainland. Now Alexander sends friars to make peace, and Hakon sends his bishops to negotiate as well, but Hakon, he accuses Alexander of trying to delay negotiations as his fleet began to run out of provisions. Hakon demanded that he and Alexander should meet on the mainland with their armies assembled, and if they can not reach a compromise, then they will do battle. Um, and before doing battle, Hakon, what did he do? He was actually uh, he would actually have his men carry out a pre-ritual war dance, known as the Hakon. Oh, thank you very much. On the thirtieth of September, twelve sixty-three, there's a a huge storm. And many of Hakon's Viking fleet they're they're scattered. A lot of their a lot of his boats they run aground at Largs Beach. And that's where the Scots attacked and looted and, and burned the boats. 
And so on the 2nd of October, Hakon, he, he rows ashore to try and rescue some of the loot that he's lost, but he's spotted and he's forced to, to row back to his main ship. And what followed on the, the beach at Largs was a series of quite vicious hand-to-hand fighting and skirmishes with lots of burning and fighting and looting of ships. It's, uh, it's remembered as the, the Battle of Largs, the 2nd of October, 1263, but what it was more was a kind of series of quite intense skirmishes. Despite that, though, the people of Ayrshire, they do actually commemorate the Battle of Largs every single weekend by engaging in hand-to-hand combat, fighting, burning and looting. Now, the Scots, they managed to force Hakon's men back onto their boats, and Hakon, he was forced to retreat to Orkney, having not asserted his authority over the Western Isles like he had hoped. There's actually a, there's a monument in Largs to um, the, the victory of the Scots on that day at the Battle of Largs. It's shaped like a cock, like all these things are. Every single monument, every single war monument is just shaped like a boby. You know, it's basically an everlasting reminder to the Vikings that our boby was bigger than their boby on that, particularly, on that particular day. The Battle of Largs would be the Vikings' last stand in Scotland before we, uh, we sent them homeward to negotiate a reasonable price in which we could buy back the Western Isles. Uh, Hakon, he retreated to Orkney. And he died on his way back to Norway. He died on the 21st of January, 1264, which is actually, ironically, the same day on which Alexander's son, Alexander, was born. And Hakon's successor, Magnus, he, he knew that the jig was up. He couldn't hold on to the Hebrides. They were too far away from Norway. And the area was now culturally far more Scottish than it ever was Norse. And so on the 2nd of July, 1266, the Treaty of Perth, Alexander was able to buy back the Western Isles for 4,000 mercs, um, which incidentally, by the way, is still the price if you want to fly there. It'll cost you 4,000 mercs. Uh, although Orkney and Shetland, it should uh, be pointed out, they, well, obviously I know they're not Western Isles, but Orkney and Shetland, they would remain under Norse control until the 15th century. And that's why these parts of Scotland, uh, they remain the parts of the country that uh, that hold on to the greatest Viking heritage, um, and it's you know because they're the parts of the country where you're still most likely to be sexually assaulted, you know. And so the Treaty of Perth it not only um, got back the Western Isles, but it also it also significantly improved relations with Norway. In 1266, Alexander's daughter Margaret, um, she was betrothed to Magnus's son Eric, and she would go on to become queen. Uh, and give birth to a daughter, Margaret, the Maid of Norway, who would be the centre of a dynastic crisis at the heart of the Scottish nobility. So after the Treaty of Perth, things, they really couldn't be any better for Alexander III. Here he was, only 23 years old. He had defeated the largest ever foreign invading army. He had won back huge swathes of land. He had peace with the English. He had complete control of his kingdom, and now he had a, a male heir as well. But of course, you know, let's not forget that Alexander was still Scottish, and defeat can always be, you know, snatched from the jaws of victory when you are Scottish. And things for Alexander the Third, they they were about to go tits up in a, a big, big way. It all started in 1275 when Alexander's wife Margaret, Henry the Third's daughter, if you remember, uh, she died, and Alexander he chose not he chose not to remarry. And then in 1281, his youngest son David died. And in 1282, his daughter Margaret, who was now Queen of Norway, she died in childbirth, giving birth to to young Margaret, the Maid of Norway. Then in 1284, his eldest son Alexander died. Now, this is all a hell of a lot of coordinated dying. 
And it meant that poor Alexander is now without an heir or a wife, so he decided to remarry. And on the 14th of October, 1285, Alexander III married Yolanda Comtesse de Montfort in uh, Jedburgh Abbey. And it's said that at their wedding reception, a ghost, a skeleton, could be seen dancing. Uh, apparently it was doing the mash. The monster mash. Although, to be fair, by that point, Alexander, he did have a lot of dead family members. They probably just didn't want to see a, a, an invite go to waste. On the 19th of March, 1286, Yolanda, she was staying in a, a royal house in Kinghorn in Fife, just on the other side of the Firth of Forth. And Alexander, he had just finished meeting with his council in Edinburgh, and he decided he wanted to, to go out and, and see his young wife. But there was a terrible storm blowing, and uh, against the advice of his advisors. Alexander III, he rode out into the storm from Edinburgh Castle. The storm was so bad, in fact, that the boatsmen at Queen's Ferry, which is the spot where you cross the Firth of Forth to, to go from Edinburgh to Fife, he refused to take the king. Alexander had to bully him by calling him a coward. Shite bag if you didn't, you know, which, as we know, works every single time. And so the boatsmen took him, and, and Alexander, uh, once he made it across the water, became detached from his men and he was lost in the snowstorm and the following morning he was found with his horse at the bottom of some crags the king had mistakenly ridden himself off the cliff in the storm and fallen to his death um and i can i bet you when alexander left edinburgh saying he was going to fife to ride himself to death i doubt that this is what he had in mind you know it probably doesn't bode well for us that one of our most competent kings is a man who rode himself clean off of a cliff but Alexander III's death, it meant that the only surviving heir to the throne was now his three-year-old granddaughter, Margaret, the Maid of Norway. Although, to be fair, if Greta Thunberg has taught us anything, it's that Scandinavian children actually make pretty good leaders. Certainly better than fully grown American men. Anyway, uh, incidentally, does anyone know where, where Boris Johnson was born? Uh, yeah, I thought so. I thought as much. So that brings us to the end of the podcast, folks. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you're enjoying the series so far. Um, if this is the first episode that you've listened to, then go back, listen to a few more. It's the same sort of thing, same sort of shite chat. You'll, you'll have a good time, I promise. Uh, if you are enjoying the series, you can you can contribute to the Montebank History of Scotland podcast. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I do wee kind of history videos. Get me on there at, at Montebank History of Scotland. Uh, like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, do all the usual stuff that folk ask you to do with podcasts. Uh, you can support the podcast. You can buy me a wee coffee, a kind of pat on the back. Well done, Daniel. Enjoyed that coffee. Uh, buy me a coffee. Um, it's just at Montebank History of Scotland. Or if you prefer, you can become a, a patron of the podcast and you can give me the price for a cup of coffee every month um, if you've listened to a few and you're enjoying it and you're listening in week uh, each week I do really really appreciate it I'm just uh, it's on Patreon again just at Montebank History of Scotland anything you can give me is really really appreciated uh, what I try to do each week is I try to match what we're talking about on the podcast with a, a malt whiskey in Scotland which kind of fits with the history of what we're talking about um, today's podcast was the the kind of exit stage left of left of the Vikings and so I've decided to match today's podcast with Highland Park. It's, a, it's an absolute classic. It's a name that you probably recognise. One of Scotland's most famous and oldest distilleries. Um, admittedly, not on the Western Isles. Um, you know, I could have gone for, for Sky or Riley or something. But um, if we're talking about the, the, the Vikings, then Highland Park actually have a specific uh, a Viking heritage bottle, which uh, which would go perfect. It's a, it's a lovely, smoky, rich, heathery kind of dram. And it sounds daft, but actually like it, it tastes Viking-esque. I don't know what I mean by that, but uh, anyway, there you go. 
Um, so yeah, that would be uh, the, the Highland Park is what I would pair this whiskey with. What I try to do is uh, through the kind of Patreon and through the Buy Me A Coffee accounts, I try to raise enough money so that I can send someone a bottle of that whiskey, someone who deserves it in these kind of tough times at the moment. It could be like a, a key staff worker, an NHS staff member, or just a, a thoroughly sound person, a patient parent. If you'd like to nominate someone to receive this bottle of Highland Park, uh, which incidentally, by the way, is uh, Inspector John Rebus of the Ian Rankin novels, Rebus novels, that's his favourite drama as well, so that's a pretty good endorsement. Uh, if you want to, if you want to receive like a, a Viking Highland Park bottle, if I raise enough money, I can do that. You can nominate someone, and you can do that through the the Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon accounts, um, or you can follow me on social media, just at Montebank Tours. Um, that's on on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the kind of usual ones, and you can leave me a DM. You can comment on a post. Um, or you can send me an email. Just nominate someone and explain why you think they deserve a bottle of whiskey and I will choose someone at random. And like I say, if I can raise enough money, I will send a bottle out to that person. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Check out some of the other podcasts and I'll speak to you next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye.